American Hammers Radio with Tex and Liam from the Fresno Irons. Hello and welcome into another edition of American Hammers Radio. This is Tex, your host, joined as always by the one, the only, Liam Bright. Liam, how are you this evening? I'm doing well as the uh, the other 50% of this bearded bastards on the on the audio airwaves for you know, all all the West Ham pleasure that you could possibly hope for. Let's be 100% honest. Bearded Bastards is a way better name than American Hammers Radio. <laughs> we should really consider a, a rebrand. We should really consider that. Oh, maybe man. maybe if I re, maybe if I regrow my my uh, my massive beard that, that, as, as I had going into Christmas, maybe maybe we'll do that. Let's be hundred <laughs> percent honest. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Liam is married to a straight up smoke show, so whatever she decides is what his beard will look like. Me, on the other hand, I'm still trying to get a girl to say hello to me. It hasn't happened in a couple of years, but I'm I'm hopeful that maybe this weekend, if West Ham win, I might get a look. I don't know about a high. I'm not going to try to get my expectations too high, but maybe a look in my direction, even though let's, she's- let's be, <laughs> let's be honest though. It's going to be the bartender giving you the look waiting for you to pay your tab. That, that'll be the look. <laughs> even worse. The bartender is a man. That's even worse. Yes. So, uh, yes. There, there you go right there. Um, We're all happy hammers right now. Liam massive fucking win over the weekend. Woo! Made getting up at 4 a.m. here in Fresno absolutely worth it. Thank you to Pine and Palm Brewing. Uh, they allowed us to uh, watch the match there. Obviously, we couldn't drink because it was so early. But my God, was it fun. West Ham United come out. Um, within 10 minutes, they were up 1-0. Um, Mikhail Antonio, right place, right time. Uh, able to get his own rebound on a shot. Put West Ham up one oh, we kind of dominated the whole first half, Liam. Yes, we were clearly the better side. Um, we dominated pretty much every aspect of it, and especially with Jose Mourinho's comments midweek, it was very nice to uh kind of say, Oh, you, you think we're just gonna fade? Oh, we're just having a nice season. No, we're here to stay. It's finally West Ham have gotten it going. And the and the Moyes army comes out in the second half. And again, within moments, Jesse Lingard is in on goal, scores a goal. They look, they were so mad at West Ham for scoring a goal. They had to check it on VAR. You know, Manchester United, Liverpool, Mo Salah was calling in to the ref saying, <laughs> hey, that can't be a goal. It's West Ham United. Only I get to score offside goals and you don't check them. So, of course, they check him. Jesse Lingard kind of smiles. Um, at first glance, I was like, crap, they're going to take this goal away. But they showed the replay. It was like, there's no way in hell. Yeah. And then we probably got the celebration of the season. They, I think they did the <laughs> the Star Trek band. Um, uh, no, no, excuse me. Star Wars <laughs> pub Wars. scene. The Star the Wars continue. pub scene. As you can tell, I'm not not a nerd like Liam. I don't know my Star Wars. Oh, God, you're such a fail. <laughs> <laughs> I know you, if everybody could see your face right now. But obviously we oh. get the band playing in the corner. West Ham go up to Neil. Then, you know, then they make a change um, at halftime and the change starts to work. Um, Gareth Bale, I'm going to be honest, he looked really good. He looked very dangerous. Yeah. Um, they get a they get they earn a corner. Uh, Lucas Mora puts in one hell of a header. I don't think it really mattered what we did. It was a well done set piece by Tottenham. Two one. They started peppering the goal. They hit the crossbar. Um, they had a, a deflection almost go in. And this is why I know this team's different. Years past, that deflection finds its way into the net. 
This oh, yeah. year, it does not. West Ham, yes, we may have hung on there a little bit at the end, but I think we were the better team for the majority of the game. We earned those three points, and West Ham solidified themselves in second place. Clearly the better team. I absolutely love Declan Rice's tweet after the game saying, I'm not going to talk too much. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. Love what West Ham United did. I think David Moyes once again got the tactics correct. Um, I think that, yes, uh, Tottenham made an adjustment, but I think we defended well. Craig Dawson, a couple of big clearances. How about Diop? Yes, you know, he looked shaky, but he made big clearances when we needed to. Um, It's Good teams have players step up when big names go out. And with Ogbonna out, there's no doubt in my mind, Ogbonna is our best defender. Um, Without Ogbonna these last two or three games, it's been clear what Ogbonna means to that back line. Um, And I think it was an absolutely brilliant performance. And West Ham United are sitting in fourth. I think I texted everybody three or four times this week already (laughs) saying, guys, we're in fucking fourth. I mean, I'm just, I'm beyond excited. I'm ecstatic. Liam, what are your thoughts on the match? Well, I mean, not only were we super excited during the match, then after the match, but then you called me a couple days later while I was cooking dinner and you were just like, hey, man, we're fucking fourth. You were like super excited and I was super excited. My wife was like, what the fuck is wrong with both of you people? And then you were so excited, or I should say maybe not you, but your ass was so super excited. It fucking butt dialed me yesterday because you were you just wanted to talk about it again, or at least your ass did. So, you know, I I would say, you know, it's, this type of situation has been interesting for us this year because anytime we have jumped into that that top four spot, it's been short-lived, right? Either later the same day or later that weekend, one of the other teams, you know, whether it's Liverpool or Chelsea has overtaken us. This is the first time that we've really been in fourth and then sat there for the week. So I think that's exciting for, for all of us involved. I mean, how could it not be? But I absolutely loved... Um, the work rate of everybody in this game. I mean, not only does Antonio get back on the the score sheet after having a little bit of a drought, but then Bowen gets the assist, which I thought was was huge for him as well. I think that's going to be a big confidence boost for him. Uh, we didn't talk about Suchek going down super early with the uh, the the clashing of the foreheads, uh, where he was just absolutely bleeding claret. All over the all over the grass. I mean, you could tell this man is clear and blue because he was leaving it all out there. Not only does he smash heads and he's covered in blood, but then he leaps, gets up off the ground and leaps to block the follow-up shot. I mean, what kind of a fucking work rate is that to be able to not only get bashed, but then get back up and ba- basically be prepared to do it all over again? Um, you know, uh, uh, Sufal had a got the wind knocked out of him when uh, uh, when him and Fabianski went to clear a ball. So he was laid out on the ground as well. Suchek comes flying down the field to check on him, and I love that. I love the the camaraderie. I love the passion that these guys have for one another, and I love the fact that like Suchek goes out and comes back within seven minutes, dude. Think about that. Seven minutes, he gets his his eyebrows stitched back together. They put a bandage over it, and he's back out on the pitch and does not get subbed for the remainder of the game. Like, he stayed in the rest of the game. Sioux Falls stayed in the rest of the game. You know, they they had they had Sun's number. They had Kane's number. They were able to keep them quiet, especially, especially in the first half. And as you alluded to, it wasn't until Gareth Bale came on in the second that he kind of helped unlock both those guys. But they were unlucky. You know, that deflection shot when uh, Sufal went to clear it, bounces off Sun, hits off the post, we're able to clear it again. 
I think really the only one, and it wasn't even that big of a deal, but I think with Cresswell, he let Lucas Moura get the best of him. He let him get in front of him. And I mean, Cressy isn't exactly the tallest of defenders to begin with. So it makes sense that they would saddle him with uh, Mora, who's like, what, a whopping four foot nine? I mean, the dude is fucking tiny. So, you know, I think with that goal, Cress could have done a little bit better with defending it, but he's had a, an amazing season. I'll give him a pass on this one, especially since we were stable, still able to walk away uh, w- with all three points. But I think the defense was strong. I think Dawson still owns it back there. I think Diop had a great game. I mean, all in all, man, I there really wasn't anybody uh, that I was disappointed with, uh, especially Lingard, man. He fucking killed it up there. Like, that was, to me, probably the missing piece that we've had. Like, Lingard's ability is peak Lanzini. So, because we haven't had that version of Manuel, it's really nice to have Jesse up there to be able to sort of unlock defenses, create havoc. Declan was talking on uh, Talk Sport how Jesse's the kind of guy that gets on the ball and you just know he's going to be able to do something with it. And I really think that's what we've been missing. That's why this team can make a team like Tottenham look like they belong in 10th place. I, You brought up a great point. Before we continue on Lingard, Thomas Suchek's a Terminator. I mean, the guy, uh, if Thomas Suchek does not win hammer of the year, I mean, that's beard shaving territory for me. Like (laughs) I'm, I'm saying like, that's kind of on the ridiculous. And look, we've had some notable performances. There are some guys that are definitely in that shout on hell. Agbana is clearly in that shout. His, his running mate, Sufal is another one that you could say Antonio, even though Antonio's missed games, Antonio's goal to minutes ratio is probably pretty good because he's missed a handful of games and he's the, he's tied as our leading scorer now with Suchek. So I look at the situation that this team is in and you're right. And and I'm going to, I'm going to take it back and I'm not trying to say that I was right. And I'm not, because I think this player um, just like David Moyes has won me over, this player has also won me over. And that's the curious case of Pablo Fornells. We have talked about Pablo Fornells not being good enough on the show. He's not there yet. And now it's proven to me when you have Jesse Lingard. Because yeah. Lingard um, does everything that Fornells can do, but there's that extra ability that Lingard has that Fornells does not. And we've said it all the time. Like when you looked at the team when we were really rolling, there was one glaring hole, and it was in that front line with Pablo Fornells. But here's what's yeah. funny: I've look, winning is the best deodorant, and I understand that. But I I have to admit, I was wrong on what Pablo Fornells means to the team. I was right on his ability. I'm 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 firm believer that I was right, but I was wrong on what he means. He's a part of this thing. He doesn't give a shit if he plays. He's going to come in, and I guarantee you, if he doesn't start anymore because of Lingard, he's going to be one of the first or second subs off the bench for David Moyes because David Moyes knows if he puts him in that, yes, he might make a bad pass, but it's never going to be a bad pass that turns into a goal. He doesn't really make those kind of mistakes like Yarmolenko is capable of. Yes, he just tries to make the amazing pass, and he's not an amazing passer. That's the simple, <laughs> that's the simple thing there, but moving on to the guy that's really, I mean, since he's come into the team, 
Yes, we have a draw, but you know, all credit to Fulham. Fulham are fighting relegation. They're busting their ass. They did a great job against us. Um, they frustrated us. And we, I, firm, frankly, I believe we were lucky to get a point out of that game. I'm happy that we got the point against Fulham. They're led by former West Ham great Scotty Parker. We're not going to talk about the fact that he went to Tottenham at one point in his career, but he was a Claret and Blue soldier for a while. I, I look at Jesse Lingard, and I'm telling you right now, the guy's only 29. Yeah. You know, he's probably got two, maybe three more years of peak level fitness. And the fact that he's playing with us, I'm really starting to wonder, like, I mean, this is no offense to Craig Dawson, but if we're going to sign one of our loanies on permanent basis, it has to be Jesse Lingard and Craig. Craig's been awesome. Yeah. You know, he's been awesome, but. Jesse Lingard has transformed what this team is it can do in the attack. How good is this guy? Like, I mean, Liam, we know what Dimitri Payet was. I mean, we we absolutely know. We know Peak Lanzini was not Payet, but he was pretty damn good. We know what um we know what uh Marco Analtovic was when we moved him to striker. You know, we've seen a run out of Antonio, but have you ever seen a player that What's the last player you've seen at West Ham that had this ability and was this dangerous every time he touched the ball? I mean, Pyatt was dangerous. Don't get me wrong. Right. But I, I think Lingard is more dangerous on the ball than Pyatt. I just think oh, he yeah. is. Yeah. I mean, if you're it, like, let's, let's be hundred percent honest here. I mean, if, if you were to ask me right now, if I'm going to take peak Pyatt, peak Arnautovic or current Jesse Lingard, I'm taking Lingard a hundred times out of a hundred because you got to think about, it's not just the ability, right? Marco could score goals. Uh, uh, Payet was amazing when it came to free kicks and he was great on the ball. You know, he could turn, he could drive into space, but think about the poison in the locker room. Those two brought to the table. So you try to balance out what they could do uh, talent wise on the pitch versus the, 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 um, discourse that they brought inside the, the 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 changing room and i think with jesse lingard we have seen somebody vastly different than who i ever thought jesse lingard was i thought he was a prick i was like oh he's another one of those man united pricks and i was completely floored that he was able to come into this team and just blend with everybody like it, it legitimately looks like everybody loves this guy and when you have you, you know, when you have football greats like Ian Wright that extol the talent and ability that Jesse Lingard has, saying that, look, this is a guy that has really not been part of Man United's uh, formula for a little while now. And it'd be easy for somebody like that to just step back and go, okay, well, fuck this game. I'm just going to party, live off the, the wages that I'm making, and it is what it is. But Ian Wright was bringing it up. Sir Ian Wright was bringing up the fact that here's a player that kept his head down and busted his ass to keep his fitness levels high. There's no way that a guy that was not working every single day, all day, every day, would be able to walk onto this West Ham team, which, let's be honest, this is probably one of the greatest West Ham teams of all time, definitely in, in our generation of being of having watched West Ham. But to have this kid walk in and make the impact that he makes, like that's top level talent. So for me, like, you know, dollars to pesos, you absolutely have to keep Jesse Lingard as part of this team, regardless of what you've got to pay. Like whatever you have to pay to keep him on this squad, 
you keep him because I do not see this guy being the second season drop off that, oh, well, I only really performed well that half a season I was with West Ham because I was trying to get back to the first team at Man United. I really think that Jesse Lingard is looking at this as like, this is my option to, this is my potential to kickstart my career and to be able to do it here at West Ham. I, I look at this situation with Lingard and I'm telling you, like the guy has been absolutely brilliant for what, what we've seen. And and you said it, you know, I, I'm trying to think of who is the best, who's the last guy that was that dangerous on the ball. And who was the kid that we signed out of Manchester United? Big Sam brought him in. He never actually worked out. We had to end up letting him go to Lazio. Um, but that that's the last player that I can recall that had that ability on the ball that Jesse Lingard does. And obviously he was a Manchester United product as well. But man, Jesse Lingard has just been absolutely brilliant. And I, I love what he brings to the table. Now, I... Man, that guy's name is going to bother me. Um, Are you talking about Ravel Morrison? Yes. Ra- oh, okay, Ra- okay. Ravel Morrison. Thank cause, you. Because he was, he was just on Rio Ferdinand's podcast, and he talked about like all the shit that went on while he was at West Ham during Big Sam's tenure. And like you you legitimately feel bad for this kid. Like he talks about how if things had gone down differently, he would have preferred, he would have wanted to end his career at West Ham. He would have stayed at West Ham until it was time to retire because he loved the fans. He loved being around the people. He loved his teammates. Like I legitimately felt bad for this kid, especially since he has never really found the greatness that he had like just prior to coming to West Ham. And as you said, you know, he had some good goals, had a great goal against Spurs, but after that, like, kind of fell off the wagon. Uh, it, you know, when the manager doesn't believe in you, and Big Sam, you know, I don't think ever really, I don't think Ravel Morrison was ever in Big Sam's long-term plans. Um, but what's so funny about that situation, and I don't want to go too much on the tangent with uh, Ravel Morrison, but Big Sam has come out multiple times and said that Ravel Morrison is one of the greatest players he's ever seen on the pitch. <laughs> but yet, you would rather go sign Andy Carroll um, because that's the type of striker you want to play with. I, it's just, it's an interesting situation, but I, to get back on track, like the big thing that I see out of Jesse Lingard that I've, I haven't seen since Ravel Morrison is the moment they get the ball, like Declan said, you think there's a goal scoring opportunity just short, just not too far away. And, yep. it, and you know, it's just absolutely mind boggling that how many times have we seen West Ham United um, go sign these quote-unquote big names, you know, Pablo Zabaleta, you know, Simone Zaza, uh, you know, Arbaloa. Um, You're looking at all these names that I can throw out there. Um, Chicharito even falls into this category. Of these quote-unquote names that don't work out, you know, they they show flashes, but it's not consistent. Yep. We've seen four games with Jesse Lingard. Three of those four games, he's been the best player on the pitch. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, I, uh, like, like you're you're naming names, and I'm thinking of like Sofiane Fagouli, right? Yeah. Somebody that like high praised, and then just never really found you know found his footing in the squad. And I think that has been so indicative of West Ham for years and years now. Like you'll have maybe maybe a couple of guys that 
just really a rock solid. And then everybody else is sort of just a body in a, in a position. I don't honestly like, I, you, I, we always look at bottom teams that are facing relegation. And the question on Twitter is always, well, who would you pull from these teams? Like who's the top talent that you would pluck from these relegation teams? Now I'm looking at the top teams and going, where am I going to pull from the top teams? And even then, I'm hard-pressed to replace a lot of our starting 11 because I think we really have a squad that even though there probably is somebody that is more talented at another team, I'm not, I'm not guaranteeing that that person is going to fit personality-wise with this squad. And the fact that someone like Jesse Lingard has managed to find that solution blows my mind. Um, it, it's amazing. A revelation absolutely praised to Moyes to, to, for pulling this one out of his bag of tricks. Yeah, well, look, I think it's that time of the show where I need to go ahead and say, <laughs> once again, David Moyes, I apologize for everything I've said on this podcast. Um, we have 19 listeners total, so all 19 of you that listen, I want you to know that I am sorry. Um, I'm sorry to David Moyes' wife for the negative things that I said um, about her choice in men. Um, that was, you know, my fault. Um, I'm sure she's more exciting than, you know, a librarian. I really am. Uh, I, I apologize. I've made, I've made mistakes, David, and I want you to know more than anything else that I appreciate everything you've done. Thank you for cleaning out the rod of my club. Thank you for instilling hope in me again, because it was after the Newcastle game. I'm not going to lie. I really wanted to see your pants on fire and you ran out of town, but <laughs> The fact of the matter is, you know, this is this is David Moyes' team now. And David Moyes, um, he, he did the right thing. He played the slow game. He played the slow game not only with the board, he played it with the players, and he played it with the supporters. We yeah. are the ones that have to own it more than anything. And it's not just me. I'm, I, trust me, I was part of the majority about David oh, yeah. Moyes. Um, so the thing is, you look at it, the board now is in a position where if they do not back David Moyes, they're, I mean, they're going to get por- uh, forced out by the supporters. That's what's yeah. absolutely going to happen. You, We have to start understanding that no matter how you feel about David Moyes, no matter how you feel about his tactics, David Moyes, without question, is the right man for the job. Now, I still question, can we – look, the goal should be to win the league. So nobody sit there and tell me, well, we should be happy with top four. Fuck that noise. Right. <laughs> like the yep. goal should be to carry the most prestigious trophy in the world, the Premier League Championship Trophy. The the League Championship Trophy is the one that we want to hoist. No offense to the Champions League, but what's the hardest league in the world? It's the Prem. So I want to own the prim. I'm not being mean to the Champions League in the slightest. I know that the Champions League has all the notoriety and they play that dumbass music before each um, <laughs> for each match. But the reality of the situation is the goal should be to win the league. And that would be my final question on David Moyes. He could never really handle it at Everton to get them there, but he was never had the money that Everton needed to get there. So that's understandable. And then when he got to Manchester United, no matter what you say, he was never backed because he was chosen by Sir Alex Ferguson, not by their owner and board. Yeah. So the owner and board gave him the job on a very short leash. And once things started to go wrong, they didn't want to make changes to the team. They just would rather him fail and get him out to bring in whoever they wanted, which I believe the manager that came in next was Louis van Gaal. And we know that one worked out well for them as well. Yeah. So 
the way I look at this situation right now is David Moyes has clearly done a phenomenal job. And and we're going to find out the test of his mettle because we brought this up last week and I'm going to, I'm going to call these games coming up the gauntlet. We are one game into the gauntlet. It's a five game stretch where we had Tottenham city Leeds, man United and Arsenal. Well, one game down and we got three points and I said, we needed 10. We needed 10 points through that five game stretch. Well, we have city coming up. Then we follow with Leeds, man United and Arsenal. So I have to ask you, Liam, let's look at these four games remaining, and we already have three in the bag. Do you think we can get 10 out of those five games? Because that is the real question that I have for you. Do you think we can get 10 points out of these uh, games? Remember, we already got three in the bag. So do we have seven points that we can find in those four games remaining? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think it's completely doable. I did want to touch on something that you had mentioned. You you said that we had 19 listeners. Last week we only had seven. So oh. we have almost tripled. So I I, I definitely hold that up to uh the win over Tottenham. People are more excited to listen to us gush and and just uh fall apart absolutely o- o- over this squad. Um the the other thing that I think is really important is the apologies that you're giving to David Moyes, I think I'm going to like turn them into a song and we're going to have to create a segment that's just going to be Tex apologizes to David Moyes. And it's going to be like <laughs> Daft Punk inspired, especially now that they've disbanded. Uh, Daft Punk inspired like dance mix, you're, you making an apology. And I'm just going to pull your vocal audio and auto-tune it. It's going to be absolutely oh, atrocious and it will drive our 19 listeners back down to seven. But to the, to the question that you actually asked, yeah, I I think that this is definitely doable. I, you know, Man City's on something like a 19 game unbeaten streak. So I get it. I think that's, that's always going to be a difficult game. Uh, when you look at it on the it's surface, it's going to be a damn shame when we stop them, you know, Saturday. Oh, it's, it's going to, it's going it, to crush uh, Pep Guardiola for sure. But I think it's, it's important to remember like, yeah, we got a point out of them, but it was at home. And I feel like that point that point that we got was right around when we were really kicking on, right? Because didn't we get that point right after the wins at um, uh, against Wolves and Leicester? I think it was like one or two games after that. So you know, yeah, you you kind of take that in consideration. Like it was early days, we were kicking on. I don't think anybody really knew. Um, actually now looking at it, the Man City game was right after we had come had that huge comeback win against Tottenham. It was literally the next game. So, you know, I don't think anybody really knew how to deal with us. I think now some some teams, especially the higher teams uh, on the table, have a little bit more of an understanding of how they can situate themselves to, to counteract what we're doing. But I also take into consideration what you were saying last week on the show, uh, how, you know, you feel like we match up very well with a team like Man City, whereas somebody a team like Man United will probably more than likely struggle. So I'm going to go ahead and say, we probably draw against Man City again. I think this one's going to be very cagey, and I think it's going to be very close. I could see that being a scoreless draw, like across the board. I think we both have a lot of a lot of uh, shots from distance. You know, Man City probably tries to maneuver their way into the box, but I think our our defense holds holds tight. Leads to me at home. That has to be a win. If we don't win that game at home, I I very much feel even a draw is is going to feel like a loss. Uh, with Man United, I actually have that one being a draw as well. Even though that we're going back to Old Trafford, think back to how we played in the uh, uh, in the FA Cup. It, they had to take us to extra time, and we had multiple injuries throughout that game. I think if we're playing with 
Oh, and we didn't have Jesse Lingard. I think if we're playing with the squad that we just showed up against Tottenham with, I think we can absolutely get a draw out of that match, if not even a late winner if we're lucky. Um, Arsenal is dog shit. If we don't beat Arsenal, um, I'm going to shave your fucking beard. So uh, <laughs> I, to me, I think more than likely we're looking at seven to eight points. Um, I mean, if we could pull a solid nine or ten right out of there, fuck me, that's amazing. So I'm going to go ahead and tell you that, yes, I'm a prisoner of the moment, um, and I know this, but we're beating City. And the reason I think yes. we're beating City is because, I'm, I'm, let me tell you why we're going to beat City. Pep Guardiola is going to overlook us. Yeah. And he's going to be stubborn, and he's going to not make adjustments to counteract what we're doing, and we're going to get, an e- we're going to get one on him. And it's going to, look, Everybody needs to remember that this is the same team that lost a game this year, 7 Neil. Okay? <laughs> yep. Like, everybody's got to remember that about Man City. They lost a game 7 Neil, So they have it in them to fall apart, and which I think they will. Now, I understand that that game that they lost uh, big, I think they lost that big game to, I think it was Leicester. Leicester. That yeah, put it, it on them. Um, like, there was a couple of goals that were own goals, and I understand that, and they just kind of fell apart. But I look at this situation. I think we get three against City. I think we're going to draw against Leeds because I think Leeds are playing fucking phenomenal football right now. And I think Patrick Bamford is a fucking handful to deal with. I think we will do a decent job, but I see a draw there. I see a loss to Man United because, like I've said, I don't think we match up well with them. I think if Bruno Fernandez, especially if he starts, I don't know if we can get a foot into the game. Um, you know, he's just such a devastatingly difficult player for us to deal with. And I don't know why he causes us so many problems, but I know that he does cause right. us that many problems. And well, so it's like I, Callum Wilson. It's just one of those guys that for whatever fucking reason, we just can't figure him out. Yeah. And then after that, I think we bounce back with a hard fought win against Arsenal. I don't think Arsenal are dog shit, but I don't think they're as good as us. Like no, that, they're dog shit. <laughs> You know, I, I just don't think there's good. Their supporters are definitely dog shit. But, oh, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Arsenal fan TV is, oh, is dog shit. Yeah, yeah. that's that's the Jerry Springer TV of England. <laughs> yep. Yeah, pretty um, much. So I, I just really believe in my heart that, that we're going to shock the world against City. I think Leeds is going to bring us back down to earth. I think Man United is going to expose us and make us get better, and then we bounce back against Arsenal. And if we do what I just told you, we're going to pick up six, seven, there's 10 points. <laughs> you yeah. know, yeah. I think we get the 10 right there, the only loss being Man United. So you you got us getting eight. I got us getting 10. I think either way we go there, that's a pretty good shout for us. Um, I just, I firmly believe that this team is rolling right now. The spirit's too high. I don't think, as shocking as this is for me to tell you, I think everybody has to remember that Man City, you know, let's be 100% honest with Man City. They're rolling right now and they're dominating. And I'm I I totally understand why people think they're the best team in the world. And I and I get it. But I want to point out just one simple kind of thing here. All right. They're they beat their last, they beat Arsenal 1-0 in a tough game. They beat Everton. Um, they beat Tottenham. Because let's kind of look at this real quick, okay? These are their these are their last games in the prim. They beat Burnley, who are dealing with relegation. They beat an out-of-form Liverpool team pretty badly. We know what Tottenham are. We just beat them, and they they ran Tottenham off. 
Everton are smoke and mirrors. Everton are good, but they're not as good as people think they are. You know, like Everton's going to finish in the top eight, but they're probably the highest for them is sixth. Let's be honest, because they get in a run of some teams. Um, You know, then you look at they beat Arsenal. That's the best team they've that we've listed they've played. If you think about it, of informed teams, that's the best team they played, and they only won that game one nil. Damn. And I think we're better than Arsenal. So Man City are on a run, yes, and I understand that. But they're also on a run against a bunch of teams that are out of form. Right. Okay? And when you look at West Ham United, and you take a look at what we've done in February, so let's just look at this. Aston Villa are still playing good football, and we beat them 3-1. Okay? Fulham playing some of the best football. If they had anybody that could finish, they may have beaten us in that game. Right. Um, then we beat Sheffield. Okay. Sheffield's not that good. I understand that we beat Tottenham. They're not that good, but I feel like we've been a little bit more battle tested than they have. And we also have an FA cup game in there against man United that we took to extra time. And, you know, we ended up losing that game one nil. So has city been tested? I think that's a debatable topic there. Now, yes, I'm a prisoner of the moment. I have my claret and blue glasses on, and I am <laughs> I am trying to convince myself and my listeners, your listeners as well, that we're going to win this game. But I, I really do believe that. And, and when we get to the prediction piece of the show, uh, you know, I'll put my money where my mouth is. Um, I think it's a it's an interesting point to bring up right now. You know, we in our pre-production meeting we talked about state of the club. So right now, let's take a look at West Ham United. And this is the caveat, Liam. Remove yourself from the equation. Okay? You cannot... I have to take my claret blue glasses off now. You know, I can't be a prisoner of the moment. And we have to legitimately ask ourselves um, this question. This is the big question on the state of the club. Why do you think West Ham United have been so successful this year with the pandemic, with everything that's been going on, with the lack of investment from the board into the team, except for until we started to perform well, um, they started to put their money where their mouth is. But why? what is the factor that you believe is why West Ham United are playing so well? You know, to be honest, I think it's the camaraderie. I think it's the common goal. I think it's what Moyes has been able to pull out of absolutely every player that he that has placed in that starting 11. I mean, we've seen, uh, you know, players like Diop, who initially had started, went out with COVID, couldn't break into the first team. You know, once Ogbonna comes down, he steps in, and it's almost as though he didn't miss a beat. And to me, that's that's massive. Even players like Balbuena, right? Last year, last season, you and I had pretty much written off Balbuena because we were like, he's always good for at least one big mistake that leads to a goal. The Balbuena that we saw earlier this season before he went down was massive. Like him and Ogbonna were a brick wall that could not be penetrated. I I really think that each one of these players has come in and understood what the job is, what the expectation is for them, and then they have tried to excel in the position that they're in. Probably no one more than Declan Rice. I mean, we knew that Declan Rice was great from the moment he first came on the pitch, what, four years ago? I think he was 17 when he first popped on. Look at who this player has become. English, international, highly rated defensive midfielder who initially was a center back that has been converted to a defensive midfielder who 
Not only that, but is now a penalty taker that can score. He is 100% on his penalty kicks at this point in time. So I would just like to put that out there. He has a flawless record when it comes to uh, spot kicks. So, you know, you really take all that into consideration and you know that a lot of this has to go to the players. A lot of it has to go to Moyes. Uh, but I, I think having and uh, having identified these these players that maybe other people have overlooked and allowed them to congeal into this just absolute force to be reckoned with, I, I think that's that's massive. So you know, at the all all of this was just a really convoluted way of saying it's it's the heart and soul that this team has constructed together, and that is why this team is so good. What do you think? All right. First off, we we got to re- revisit the Declan comments because I think you you're you're hitting on something that I think is a big big deal, and I think that I want to bring that back up. But before I do, I'm going to answer the question I asked you. Why do I think we've been so great? So first off, I want to say this, Liam. I I would give anything if I could have your mindset. If you'd read me a bedtime story, because you just make things seem so positive. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to tell you why I think we've been so great this year. Because the supporters are not in the stands. Oh, you dickbag. Our, our, our supporters are, are known for being like, they're too quick to judge. And I'm guilty of it. I, like, I think we're going to win the league right now. So I, I understand it. So I'm speaking as a West Ham supporter. But I think that, that, that negative atmosphere that our supporters can bring into the, to the ground sometimes it leaks out onto the pitch. Mark Noble's talked about it in the past. Uh, again, the game against Burnley, where the revolt started in the stands, and Sir Trevor Brooking was sitting there all by himself because you know the supporters were going after him. I just really am starting to wonder: like, is the reason we're doing so well because the players don't have to worry about the reaction of the fans? They don't have to, and I and maybe I'm wrong. And, and look, eat me alive on this. I'm fine with it. But I, <laughs> I really believe the reason West Ham United are, are doing so well is because with nobody in the stadiums and no fans to just bitch and moan about things that are you know, it's too quick to judge. Like, this is my thing. What if, you know, Thomas Suchek got signed, you know, a week ago and he got out there and he got his head busted? What if they walked out there and said, Oh, see, he's too fragile to play. You know, the guy breaks. That's bullshit. I mean, we know that's bullshit. You can't judge a player on that. Thomas Suchek, obviously, that's an extreme. I'm, I'm I'm giving you an extreme example. But I think to add to what you're saying is the fact that the supporters are not there allows that spirit that you're talking about in the team to grow, and there's nothing to stop it. There's nothing to make anybody question it on that pitch. So this mentality that they've created – and, and what they have done to me is all because we as supporters have to sit back and go, man, positive energy can go a lot further than negative. And I look, I, I love this club. I am. I, I'm going to make this statement out to let everybody know I'm club over country. If the United States play West Ham United. Come on, you irons. <laughs> OK, <laughs> that's just I'm being 100 percent honest on that. But I do understand the flaws of our supporters, and I'm not going to be ignorant to that, and I'm not going to shy away from it. You know, I've met certain West Ham supporters that I don't care to talk to anymore, and the reason I don't care to talk to them anymore is because, my God, they they live in this world where there always has to be something to bitch about. 
and West Ham aren't giving us anything to bitch about. And you notice, if you get on Twitter right now, Liam, it's all supportive, and it's all nice. But I still, every once in a while, will see a tweet that goes, he's just not good enough, talking about Ben Harama. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> like, like Ben Harama, yes, he doesn't have a goal, and yes, he's made some mistakes, but he is clearly a, a very dangerous player. And if you yeah. can't see that, and that's what I'm getting at. And maybe, you know, beat me up on that, but that's what I really believe is the reason why we're playing so well is because we're not there to be shitheads to the team. Like, I'm just being honest with you. That's what I believe. So I think this will probably be the first time I say, are you fucking mad? What is wrong with you? No, it has absolutely nothing to do with the supporters not being in the stands because that that logic, which TalkSport has absolutely droned on and on about this entire fucking season, as soon as we started to see positive results come our way, the immediate response was, oh, it's because the West Ham fans aren't in the fucking stands and, and we all know that we are the most toxic fan base of all time, blah, blah, blah. Fuck that noise. Absolutely sh- shove that noise two fingers up your fucking ass. There's no fucking way because that type of logic is the same logic that, that you could literally apply to any team in, in the Premier League. You could apply it to any team in any league that are, still does not allow fans in the stands. And at that point, everybody's on the same keel, right? Everyone's on the same playing ground. Like whether you're Leeds, whether you're Liverpool, West Ham, it doesn't matter. All fans are going to boo when things aren't going wrong. They're going to jeer at players. But what else are they going to do? They're going to jeer at opposing players too. They're going to chant. They're going to sing. They're going to raise the atmosphere to try to encourage their team. You brought up the point, right, where Suchek takes uh, takes a bash to the head and goes down early. And obviously, an extreme example. But you know, if if uh, you know uh, fans are screaming like, "Oh, he's soft! Oh, what a baby!" But flip that and think about how that stadium would have erupted when Antonio scores that goal five minutes in. All of a sudden, we're on fucking cloud nine and the London Stadium is absolutely shaking to the fucking foundations. I, I get I get the talk to some degree that, you know, the, toxic, the toxicity, especially when it comes to the board, because a lot of that has bled out onto the pitch. Our frustrations haven't been with the fan or with the, with the players. Typically, our frustration hasn't been with the manager either. The frustration has always been pointed at the board. And I think the players that are here, the ones that have been here, especially for several seasons, they know that. They know when the chants are the the GSB out chants and the the ones that are against the, the the board in general, the players know that's not against them. And I don't think that they take that and allow that to to influence the way that they play. You know, because it's it would almost be like saying the only reason that Liverpool won the season or uh, won the the league last year was because there were no fans in the stands. And that wasn't what it was. It was that Klopp had that team firing on all cylinders and they just had an absolutely fantastic season that luckily they have not been able to replicate. So while I understand where you're coming from and I've seen that talk come out, not just from like the talk shite pundits who fucking peddle that almost every week. You know, Jim White fucking throws that out there all the time. But it's... You know, it's it's a select few people that do come out and they're kind of saying that like, hey, that toxicity, it doesn't bleed out onto the pitch. That's why the, the team, like you said, has been able to focus so much on that camaraderie and building that team, that team spirit from within. But also look at the post-match uh, interviews. Moyes has said it. Rice has said it. Noble has said it. Everyone has said this game was amazing. It would have been even better with fans in the in the stands. 
Look, I, I, I will eat it if I'm wrong, but I, I, I'm going <laughs> to tell you right now, I'm going to go back to what Mark Noble said after that Burnley game and the way he talked when they, when they, you know, he's the captain of the club and he's speaking to the media and he talks about how it, like he was asked point blank, did it affect you out on the pitch? He said a hundred percent. It did 100% yeah. it affected us. And so I'm a believer in this. I think supporters have a bigger impact on the game than people realize. I don't think they decide wins and losses, and I'm not trying to go on record in saying that. But with West Ham supporters, the one thing that's always bothered me is how quick we are to judge and how quick we are to bury somebody um, that doesn't play immediately up to, quote-unquote, their billing. And so one thing that I think has been nice this year is that players don't have to deal with that. They go out there, they can ease into the club, they can ease into the Premier League without anything. Because let's be 100% honest, Ben Harama, you know, he was signed, didn't play much. Now he's kind of looked at as he's getting to the point where he's going to be one of the first five names on the team sheet. He's moving up the list very slowly, but he is. And, you know, you this is the problem with watching a highlight video on a player. You go watch a highlight video on Benarama, you think he's going to hit the ground running and score three goals a game. That's what you say. But the reality of the situation is he's moving up in leagues. He's playing against bigger, stronger, faster people. And yes, he is a very fast, quick, very technical player, but you have to find your niche on a new team. You have to find the way that they play. And sometimes I don't think as supporters, we give those players that amount of time to do it. And that's where my issue comes in. And that's why I do believe that one contributing factor to us being successful right now is the lack of fans in the stands. But what's funny is I think you are also correct in your, <laughs> in your assessment of with nobody to stop that positive injury growing in the team, there's just sheer belief now. Now if you throw fans in the stands and we're being cocksuckers anyway, it's not going to matter. Like, yeah. because that team, that team has now solidified what they believe about who they are. And there's been nothing to detract that. So I think they would block out the noise, but any, like, let me, I, I'm a former collegiate athlete and I'm going to say this, anybody that ever tells you, you know, I don't even hear the fans. No, fuck that. You do. You hear it oh, every yeah. time you yeah. hear it every time. You know what they say? Even if you're just a high school player and you're playing in front of 12 people and somebody's giving you, the, giving you the business, you're going to hear it. And so I, I just don't buy into that. You know, um, I think that it definitely affects. But, you know, look, we're going to agree to disagree there. Um, and we all know that I'm probably wrong and you're probably right. I, I will say that. But let's be 100% honest. The the main factor that we need to talk about now as we go on, we're going to go into the transfers and kind of do a little bit transfer and Declan Rice talk. Obviously, you brought up Declan Rice. And I said I wanted to circle back to this. And let me tell you why. I'm really worried that we're going to lose Declan Rice if we don't stay in the top four, Liam. Yeah. So I've got, I've, I've got to ask you, give me a percentage on this. If if we make the top four, what's the percentage we keep Declan? And if we don't make the top four, what's the percentage we keep Declan? <laughs> so I would say if we make top four, I think it's 100%. I think if we, if we make top four, uh, not only will... Declan want to stay, which I, I firmly believe that he does, but I also think the board will want to keep him because one of the one of the issues that I don't think that a lot of supporters have really thought about with getting Europa or or Champions League is you need more squad depth. 
And that's something that while we do have to some degree, I don't think we have it in spades, at least not the way that the traditional top four teams typically do. So I think there are there's a significant need for reinforcements uh, going into the summer transfer window before starting next season to make sure that we have the bodies available to be able to stay competitive in Champions League and in uh, in the Prem. Because what good is Champions League if we get ousted in the early stages, right? That's that's going to do us no good. It's like, oh, okay, we got a slight little taste of it. And then because we spent all this time and having our star players play in those matches, now we're sitting, you know, bottom half of the table, which obviously now we have to struggle to build our way back up to the top four to be able to get Champions League again. So in order for us to stay competitive against those top teams, we need top level players. In that same breath, What's one way to be able to buy other top-level players? You sell your valuable players to buy more players for more squad depth. So the board has come out and said that they won't entertain uh, uh, bids for Declan Rice that are less than $100 million. So at $100 million pounds, for one player, you really think about how you could spend that money to reinforce this squad. But now think about that. That is a squad that now you no longer have a talent and a leader like Declan Rice. I think, as I said before in my little rant, the so much of that camaraderie, I think, stems from the personability that Declan Rice brings to that locker room. He's a young kid. He likes to joke around. He likes to have fun. You know, this kid's 22, but yet is able to welcome in a 28, 29-year-old like Jesse Lingard and seamlessly incorporate him into the team. Someone like Pablo Fornells, who typically you would think, oh, there's a language barrier, also feels like a member of the crew, as we saw with that goal celebration for the second goal against Tottenham. Uh, I think that if we miss out on it, though, if we miss out on that top four spot, I'm going to say it's 50-50. Because at that point, I could see Declan, because he did say in his talk sport interview uh, that he has his sights set on Champions League and he wants to push for as high up the table as they could possibly get. So I think that if he is, if we're not able to achieve that, especially with the players and the mindset that we have right now, I think there is a strong possibility that given enough money or given enough options, the board, knowing how the board is, money grubbing dick shits uh that they would probably sell Declan Rice in order to either pocket the money or to you know at least try to lay it out there like hey we strengthened quote unquote air quotes strengthened the squad but i don't know man what do you think when it comes to deck i'm 100% with you um on if we make the champions league he's 100% staying there's no reason for him to leave and if we maintain lingard and we have declan rice we become an attractive place for guys that you know are on teams that want to get into Champions League that are very good players, we become a place that they now look at, oh, man, well, and you have to remember, we're an attractive place just as it is because we're in the capital. You know, we're in London. So I think if we get Champions League football, I think that that that's key. However, I'm different from you if we don't. If we don't, I think it's about a 1% chance we keep him. Oh, shit. Um, And I'm going to to say why I think it's a 1% chance – Declan is now coming out saying what I've always feared he wanted. He wants Champions League football. He wants to be up against the best. If we miss out on Champions League football, Declan, yeah, he's 22, but you know this guy is looking to solidify his name in football lore in England. And it's going to be really tough to do that at a place like West Ham United that doesn't have the cachet that 
Manchester United do. And so I think in order for us to keep him, we have to be in the running for the Champions League. I think if we finished in fifth, and let's say hypothetical situation, we get through the gauntlet with eight points, like we said, and West Ham end up falling behind uh, in Chelsea. And let's just say, you know, let's say the top four end up being, you know, Manchester United, uh, Manchester City, Chelsea, and Leicester. Let's say those are the four that end up getting it, which that's a that that's a decent shout for those four to do it. Um, and let's say West Ham United, who we don't match up against Chelsea, we finish two points back of of Chelsea in fourth, and we just missed the Champions League. However, if Chelsea, you know, could have been a situation, but regardless of what it is, if we just miss it, I still think he goes. Yeah. Like I still think he goes. And I think we don't keep Lingard. And I'm not trying to say that I'm not trying to be negative, but you know, sometimes the worst thing in the world is to give somebody a taste of something that they quote unquote can't afford. And then anything else that they do just doesn't, it's just not the same. Yeah. So you tease them with champions league football and then you end up in the Europa league. You know, it just, it doesn't have the same cachet. And yeah, that's why I think if we don't make champions league, because now at this point, and you said this, you know, three or four weeks ago at the halfway point of the season, you've pretty much told the league who you are. Well, West Ham have done that and we're in fourth. So there's a really good shout. We're going to finish in, you know, third, fourth, six, and kind of in that third to sixth kind of area is a very likely scenario for us um, based on how we've been playing. But I just, I I think it's really scary that we'd hang on, um, that we would be able to hang on to Declan Rice if we don't make the Champions League. And that also goes for Jesse Lingard. Yeah. And you lose those two players, it's a whole different team next year. Whole different team. Um, you got any, uh, you got any news on the, uh, transfer rumor situation for us? So the only other stuff that's really come out is uh, that Fornals uh, has apparently been urging Yusuf and Asiri, uh, who we covered last week, as the top prospect uh, for an additional striker uh, going into the summer transfer window. What's really interesting about this is that Fornals and, and Nasiri played together at Malaga in La Liga back in like the 2015 season. So there is a connection. I think it's adorable that our own players are scouting for other players uh, that they had played with previously. I mean, the, the Sue checks who fall connection is, I mean, checkmates dude. It's that's still hilarious every time I see it. And it's awesome that you could see the connection that they have. But I think you also said it perfectly in what we were just discussing is that being located in the capital, having the history that a club like West Ham have, and then being as high up on the table that we are, we have become a vastly more attractive club to top talent. And I think someone like and Nasiri, who, you know, if the uh, rumors are true that Sevilla is looking to uh, possibly reinforce their striker positions, that he may look to go elsewhere. And why wouldn't you go to the capital of England to play for a team that is in the Champions League that challenges for a league title. I mean, I would do that in a fucking heartbeat. And, I, you know, obviously I'm a West Ham fan, but even if I wasn't, yeah, that would be attractive to anybody. Uh, I think with 
I think with this, it, it, it reinforces the possibility that he comes. Uh, but really, at the end of the day, it's all go always going to come down to the price tag and whether or not the board is going to spend the money. I, I want to say it was a $27 million pound offer that went through that Sevilla turned down. So we're definitely going to have to spill some cash to be able to bring him in. Uh, the flip side, uh, one of the, the other issues we may run into is that apparently Leicester have expressed interest in signing Jesse Lingard after his loan spell with us is over. Uh, you and I talked about this in our pre-production meeting. I don't see that happening, uh, especially if we do finish top four. Why would Jesse leave a squad that he's just built a relationship with to then jump to Leicester who what, maybe they end up in third and we stay, you know, they stay in third, we stay in fourth. You're going to go one place up that does you nothing. It's not like they get anything more than what we would get in fourth. We both get Champions League and ultimately that's what he wants. So I don't see that happening. I could only see him jumping back to Manchester United. I think if he doesn't sign for us, it's because Manchester United says, hey, he showed us enough that we want to keep him as a uh, as a potential starting 11. So yeah, we're not going to to, to sell him at the end of the, the loan spell. So for me, it's two clubs. It's either us or he goes back to Man U. I, I, I really hope you're right. I really hope that Jesse Lingard is making friends and ends up. I think he came in wanting to prove something to Man United, and I hope he leaves wanting to to go, I, I want to wear Claret and Blue the rest of my career. That would be a beautiful situation. All right, it's time for game preview time. Obviously, it's a massive, massive game. Uh, we are playing the team that's sitting at top of the table that has not lost a game in 19 that everybody thinks is the greatest thing since sliced bread. I'm pretty sure when they piss, they piss excellence. So we are playing Manchester City. Um, we are having to go to their house. We'll be at the Etihad. Um, so right now, game preview time. Give me your starting 11, uh, Liam, for this match. All right, so I'm going to try to pin back Man City in this match, and I'm going to go with the back three. So I've got Doss, uh, Diop, Dawson, and Cresswell. I've got Sufal and Benarama as uh, wingbacks, Sufal and, or Suchek and Rice in the middle, Bowen and Lingard uh, as the uh, the support for Antonio up top. So it's kind of a, a hybrid 3-4-3, three, three. Uh, and I really like the the uh, interchange that Lingard and Benrama can have. My, my only caveat to this is that second goal that we got against Tottenham, I really loved the back and forth that Fornals and Lingard have. And I, I, I honestly think they might be building a stronger partnership than what we see with Lingard and Benrama. So I could give a shout to have Fornals start, especially because that way he can kind of tire out uh, you know, the back line and the wingers for Manchester City. And then you bring Ben Rama in as kind of like the death stroke uh, at the end of the match that he can bring some pace, some flair, some ingenuity uh, to really be able to, to drive the attack late on in the game, which we know we're going to need it. So I'm still going to say this stays a cagey match. I love what you were saying earlier that uh, this could absolutely be a match that we go in and win. Uh, I think we probably play this one safe, knowing Moyes, he'll probably give a little bit too much respect to Man City. Uh, I see this ending at a draw, either a nil-nil or a 1-1. But uh, Tex, I really want to know what you think for this one. Well, first off, on my starting 11, I think you got the tactics right. I think he is going to go with a back three, and I agree with the same back three. However, um, I don't have – I have Ben Johnson starting. I could see uh, that, for yeah. sure. I think Ben Johnson and Sufal are going to be the wingbacks. Uh, I think Moyes really likes Ben Johnson a lot. Obviously, the double pivot stays the same with Suchek and Rice. So, right there, you know, there you got the eight guys. Now, the front three, um, I think Antonio starts up top. Um, I have Bowen out on the right, Lingard out on the left. And that's yeah. what I 
that's what I kind of believe with Suchek, the license to get forward. Um, I just, I, I think he likes Ben Johnson and I do, I do agree. Um, um, but I think the substitutes that come in, I think for nows will come in for Lingard um, late in the game. Like I would say 75th minute on, but I see Ben Harama coming in for, it depends on the situation. If we take an early lead, I don't know if Ben Harama makes it into this game because Ben Johnson's a better defender. Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, he provides way more protection for Cresswell, which is kind of what we need. Yeah, and the only way I see Ben Harama coming in in that formation is if we change the formation midway through the game to a back four. Yeah. And if we do that, then I can see Ben Harama coming on. But that's what I think the starting lineup will be. And I'm telling you right now, I firmly believe what I'm about to tell you. We're going to win this game 2-0. Nice. And I think uh, West Ham United are going to prove who they are. Um, I have um, half of the checkmate getting one in Thomas Suchek. I have him getting a goal. And then my other goal scorer in this game. And I, I you know, I'm getting to the point where I'm going to keep saying it because I think <laughs> he's actually going to do it. So this is going to watch. This is the first week I'm not going to give him the goal and watch him fucking be the one that scores. I normally, you know, I want to pick Benarama to yeah. get the goal, but I don't think it's going to be Benarama. I think the other goal will be Lingard. I think Lingard's yeah. on fire. I think he's got something to prove. Remember, he's a Manchester United kid. He hates the, the team in blue. You know, yeah. he probably won't even say their name. So he's going to want to put a goal in on them. And those are who I think the two goal scorers are. But I think man of the match is Mikel Antonio. Um, I'm a yeah. firm believer on that. So that that's what I think. I think we're winning this game convincingly to Neil. Uh, got my goal scores, man of the match. Who's your man of the match? Uh, man of the match for me is probably going to be Craig Dawson. Uh, I think that he's been absolutely rock fucking solid uh, at the back. And I think that if we do end up scoring a goal in this one, if it does end up being like a 1-1 or, you know, even better, a 1-0, um, I'm going to go with Dawson again. I think we get it off the set piece. Uh, the the Tottenham game, he had one that was a surefire in. Larice just happens to get a hand on it and pushes up pushes it up over the bar. I think Dawson's lethal, man. And if it's not him, it's got to be Suchek, uh, you know, from a set piece. So I think if we, if we batter um, uh, uh, Man City, I don't know if it comes from the run of play. If it does, you're right. It's probably Lingard that scores off the run of play. But I'm going to say... If we score, it's off a set piece. It's going to be Craig Dawson, and then he'll get my man of the match as well. Man, I, I got to buy you a Craig Dawson is my homie t-shirt. Oh, fuck yeah, <laughs> man. That dude fucking rules. I love Craig uh, Dawson. All right, it's time for everybody's favorite part of the show, uh, yellow red card time. Hit me with your yellow, Liam. All right, so my yellow card's going to go to shit tactics. So we absolutely dominated that first half against Tottenham. But then what I noticed was the first turnaround. It wasn't that Bale was brought on. It was that Son and Kane went down at the drop of a hat. As soon as the second half started, they were fucking flopping all over the place. And that, to me, is what frustrates me the most. As soon as these so-called top-level clubs start to feel the pressure or start to feel that uh, West Ham is getting one over on them, all of a sudden they all turn into the Olympic diving team. And that kind of shit frustrates me. I love the fact that Moyes has said on multiple occasions that he tells his guys, he tells these guys to stay on their feet. He says, if we're going to win, we're going to win honestly. And if we're going to lose, we're going to lose honestly as well. And I, and I love that. I really wish that these other coaches, except, especially somebody that has the nickname, the chosen one, wouldn't resort to fucking playground, playground tactics to try to win a game. Fuck you, man. Man up. Here's your yellow card next time. Next season, when we pull the double on you again, fucking be a man about it. Oh, wait, that's only if your ass doesn't get sacked before then. Chosen one, my ass. 
<laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Coming with the fire. Uh, my yellow card goes to West Ham apologists. Um, I'm sick and tired of what, like I'm sick and tired of watching anybody uh, get on there and go, well, you know what? West Ham's having a better year than I expected. Now shut your mouth. Like, I don't want to hear what you have to say. Um, you know, this is a club that um, should, this is how, where we should be. Like, I'm just yeah. going to say, this is where we should have been. When we came to the London Stadium, this is what the expectation was. Took a little bit longer. But I'm sick and tired of hearing everybody um, give the but answer. Well, West Ham are, are playing well, but can they maintain it? But are they really that good? But is this is the league down this year, and that's why they're there. I'm just sick and tired of hearing it. So um, I would give you a red card, but I have to give you a yellow because we all know what's coming on my red card. Hit me with your red card. All right, my red card is going to go to the Bale Strokers. So these are all these idiots that literally were sitting there creaming their jeans waiting for Gareth Bale to score a fucking goal. Get the fuck over it. Gareth Bale is not the Gareth Bale of old. This is the fucking MLS Gareth Bale. This is the over your prime, no longer fucking viable option that's being shoehorned into a tin pot fucking North London club that can suck the fattest part of my asshole. These, this is absolutely ridiculous. This bullshit, you know, icon worship that we see across the league. And anytime you get, you know, Mo Salah, anytime you get any of these players that get on the ball, you could just hear the cum dripping out of the mouths of these fucking commentators. And it drives me absolutely up a wall red card get the fuck out of here you got a one one game ban at this point and rinse your mouth out with soap you sick bastards <laughs> this is uh, <laughs> oh liam is is strong today with his cards i, I feel like i feel like both years were red cards but we'll call one of them a yellow we'll call one yeah of them a yellow. um my red card um it, it's getting harder harder every week and I appreciate the challenge, David Moyes, I do. But once again, David Moyes, you're getting my goddamn red card because I want you to come out in the microphone and stop being nice. I'm giving you a red card. Say, we're West Ham United. Suck our Ds right yeah. now. Just let them have it. Like, I want you to point your finger in the camera and say, hey, Manchester United, you know how you gave up on me? Hey, Sunderland, you know the shit show you tried to make me coach? I want him to just be a dick. But yeah. unfortunately, he's not. He's a better man than I. He's a better man than all of us. He's the leader of the Claret and Blue Army. Um, so, David Moyes, you're getting my red card just because I want you to be a little more East End. That's yeah. the only thing. I want you to be a little more East End. Um, if you don't know, I only give him a red card because ever since I've been given a red card this year, we've tend to been playing pretty well. <laughs> so yeah. Just trying to juju. keep the juju going. Just trying to keep the juju <laughs> going. All right, guys. Um this is something, uh, this is time for a little announcement, some near and dear to the Fresno Irons Hearts. If you don't know, uh, Liam and I are members of the Fresno Irons here in Fresno, California, where we do our podcast from. Um, this is something that uh, we are very passionate about. Um, if you're ever feeling lost, lonely, having thoughts of making a decision that you can't come back from, we want you to know that there is always somebody to talk to. And if you are a listener of this show, um, you can reach out to... Um, on Twitter at AHRWHU, that's American Hammers Radio's uh, Twitter handle. Message us. We'd be more than happy to talk to you in any way, shape, or form. Also, you can reach out to the Fresno Irons on any social media platform um, at Fresno Irons on both Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And if you're not comfortable talking to us, there is help, and that help comes on the National Suicide Prevention Line. 
That number is 1-800-273-8255. Again, that number is 1-800-273-8255. Just know that if you're a listener of this show, you are part of our family, and we are here for you. Liam, let, let them know how to uh, uh, get in touch on the across the pond. Sure thing. So you can always reach out to Samaritans at 116-123. And even if you are across the pond, like that offer still stands. You know, if you ever want to reach out to us, A-H-R-W-H-U, you can reach out to anybody that's within the American Hammers family. You know, I, I understand it. We're just idiot Americans that don't fucking understand football because we still call it soccer over here. Uh, but Honestly, like we're all still West Ham family. So whether you've been supporting West Ham for, you know, 50 years or fucking 50 minutes, like you're still West Ham. So uh, we, we absolutely welcome you into the fold. Thank you so much for listening. I want to thank Tim and Lee, the founders of American Hammers Network, for providing us this platform with the ability uh, to do this podcast for all uh, 19 of you that are now listening, which we do appreciate. Um, if you ever want to get involved in the show, drop us a line. Uh, we're most active on Twitter, so at A-H-R-W-H-U. Uh, you can message us there. Uh, you can like. You can also uh, send us um, anything, and maybe one day we want to get you involved in the show. And also, if you ever find yourself lost in the Central Valley of California, and it happens We apologize. To, <laughs> if you do- We do apologize. You're, you're you fucked, see a, so- <laughs> you, you see an exit sign for some town called Fresno- and you you look at the clock and you go, it's only 4.15 a.m. My God, West Ham United are about to play Manchester City. Go ahead and throw on that Google Maps and type in Pine and Palm Brewing Company. Find your ass over to the pub and uh, join the West Ham United's finest group in Fresno. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Fresno Irons and come join us for the match. As always, we welcome all. We love all. Even if you don't support West Ham United, come talk shit. That's what we're great at. Uh, so thank you so much for listening. Um, this has always been a pleasure. And for Liam, I am Tex. And as always, come, come on, on you, you irons. irons.